Hello. Nice to see you all, my friends. My name is Patrick. I'm an associate pastor here at ECB. We are um, we're going to be starting in just a couple weeks uh, a new summer series that we're excited about. But before then, we're going to take this week and next week to talk a little bit about a subject that is really important to us at ECB. That's discernment. In the fall of 2020, I led uh, a group on discernment for about six weeks or so. Some of you were a part of that, and so you might recognize some of what I'm, I have to say today. But, but also, through our sessions and through all the follow-up conversations I had with folks who were doing discernment, I kept learning new things um, that's also going to be part of what I share today. So that's, that's one of the cool things, I think, about being in a home group or any kind of group around DCB is that not only are you learning new things for yourself, but your story ends up feeding back into our collective life as a congregation. So if it sounds like I'm warning you that if you join a group, uh, you might suddenly find yourself in a sermon illustration. Yeah, it's not so bad. You can ask my wife. She's been dealing with it for years. Like, you'll be okay. So today I just want to do some very simple introductory work. What is discernment? What does it mean to discern something? If you're new to ECV or you're new to Christian faith in general, you might occasionally hear people use or maybe even overuse the word discern. Like, hey, you want to go see this concert with me on Friday? It's like, oh, it's been a busy week. Might have to discern about that a little bit and we'll get back to you. And you're like, well, okay, you, you mean like think? Like you're going to think about it? Is, this just, is that what that means? Like is, is discern just a Christian word for thinking? Not quite, but I do think that it is true that in our context, when, when we use the word discernment casually, I think we mean something like decision-making with reference to God. We are facing a decision. Maybe we are trying to listen to God. Maybe we are trying to please God. Maybe we're just hoping God will somehow make it turn out right. Maybe the decision just kind of feels weighty or significant to us. So we don't just want to think about it. We want to discern, which is thinking, but with God. So I'm not saying that this definition of discernment is totally wrong. It, we do lots, we do face lots of decisions. It is good to understand God's will and heart as we make them. I spend a significant chunk of every week talking with people who are facing tough choices. I'm happy to do that. But this, this definition of discernment is not quite what the Bible means by discernment. And so if we don't start with Scripture's definition of discernment, and kind of understand what's going on, on there, our decision-making ends up being harder, I think, and messier than it needs to be. So, before we jump in, let me just pray for us. Lord, each one of us here is bringing with us some sort of confusion into this space. Holy Spirit, help us to name that feeling, to bring it before you, to hear from you, your wisdom, and your counsel. Amen. So the New Testament was written in Greek. And in Greek, there's not like a one perfect word in ancient Greek that, that kind of matches up with our word discern. If you read an English translation, depending on the translation, they use the word discern in place of a few different Greek words with slightly different meanings. But probably the closest that we have is the word dokimazo. 
Dokimazo means something like testing or examining. In its origins, it is referring more specifically to like testing like a metal, like silver or gold, to see just how pure it is. So when the Bible talks about discerning things, it has in mind something like this process, that you are holding up, examining a thought, a plan, an action, you're kind of seeing what it is made of. You're trying to see whether it comes purely from God or from some other source. Which right from the start, we should just acknowledge that when we, in our modern context, are evaluating a decision or plan, we test it against lots of different questions. Is my choice reasonable, we ask? Does it seem realistic? Does it represent who I am or what I want to be? Is it ethically justifiable? Will it make me happy? What will my friends say? And in place of all of those questions, the Bible is really asking only one question, which is, is this God's desire? Or, like in Romans 12, is this the will of God? Or in Ephesians 5, is this pleasing to the Lord? That's the kind of purity we are searching for here. That's what we are testing for. Am I doing what God desires? 1 John chapter 4 gives us a picture of discernment as the testing, dokimazo, of spirits. And we should understand that not just as a testing of many voices around us in the world, it is also a discernment about our own divided hearts. Yes, God is doing a new thing in me, and yes, part of me is still broken and wounded and shaped by sin. So when I face a decision, what part of me is running the show? When we discern, we end up being discerned as well. Dokimazo, our hearts are some part purely who we are and some parts mixed up with a lot of junk. When I, was, um, when I was first learning how to drive, um, I, was, I was really insecure about it. I was surrounded by like, all of these 16-year-old boys who were always bragging to me about how good they were at driving, and I believed them, and I uh, didn't really think that I was very good, which in retrospect actually made me a pretty safe driver. But at the time, I was just worried that my friends were going to think that I was dumb or incompetent or scared. I grew up in a very small town in Indiana, so there's not, there's not a lot to do like on a Saturday night except to just kind of drive around and hope that something interesting will happen to you, like you get invited to a party or something. It's never once happened to me. I have never once scored an invitation to a party just by driving around, but it happens in movies. So when we would get tired of, of just driving past cornfields or like to the local mall, we would go drive around to the big city where there was a much nicer mall. For us, that was Indianapolis. It was about an hour and a half uh, away from where I grew up. For me, it was like a metropolis. And it was, it also, it also, by the way, had an amazing mall. It was called Circle Center. You knew it was a fancy mall because they spelled center with an R-E at the end instead of an E-R, tray sophisticated. This was the kind of mall that you got dressed up to go to. So I can remember, I have this vivid memory of driving for the first time into Indianapolis with a car full of my friends. And I'm, I'm old, so this was before GPS. If you, uh, if you are old enough that you at one point had to print off instructions from the internet before you drove, took a road trip, I salute you. But this is actually even before that. This was like back in the day 
when you had to like just call somebody on the phone and they would try to explain to you where to go or they would draw a map for you or whatever. So I had written down directions to get to the mall. A lot of streets in Indianapolis are named after states. So I knew, according to my instructions, that I needed to drive three miles up Delaware Street and turn left on Washington Street. Now, I'm driving along, it's about three miles. Unfortunately, something had happened to the sign, and so instead of looking as it should, the A had been scraped off a little bit, it looked like this. So I've driven about three miles, I'm looking for Washington Street. It should be somewhere around here. I look up, I see the sign, and say, that's West Shington Street. <laughs> that's not it. And I keep going. Keep going, there's no Washington Street. I go like another mile. Still no Washington Street. I double back. There's West Shington again. There's still no Washington. At this point, my friends are like, noticing that we're kind of going in circles. And like, Patrick, are, you, are we lost? And I'm like, at this point, my embarrassment has just given way to a general rage at like the city of Indianapolis. I'm like, this is just, guys, I am like losing my mind here right now. We are looking for Washington Street. It should be right here. But look, look, it goes New York Street, Ohio Street, West Washington Street, Maryland Street. There's no Washington Street. It makes no sense. And my friends, of course, like take one look at the sign and look at me and are like, bro, <laughs> You're right, and that is so weird. <laughs> we spent like at least another 15 or 20 minutes driving back and forth until somebody was like, you know, is anyone even thinking about how West Washington has a lot of the same letters as Washington? <laughs> so if the lesson that you take away from that story is that my friends and I don't sound like the sharpest tools in the shed, as we used to say, um, well, yeah, yeah, you got me. But, uh, when I look back, I can see that I, I missed this sign that was kind of like right in front of my eyes because in a sense, I was barely even paying attention. I, the whole time, my attention was really focused on my friends. We were talking and laughing and joking and I was thinking about how to impress them. And that's often true for us as teenagers, like that, that what seems like just a blind, thoughtless decision is actually just a total fixation on the question of how I will fit in to the exclusion of almost everything else in our lives. So even as I'm driving the car, I'm barely paying attention to where we are going. I'm paying attention more to my own stuff, my own longing and insecurity. And that's true for us, I think, in a lot of our questions. We think that discernment is just about reading the signs, like, but the sign can be right in front of us, and still we miss it because we are looking for something actually more than a sign. We are looking for answers to some of our deepest questions. What am I worth? Will I be safe? Do I belong? What will happen? So if some questions we are really asking God are about these kinds of deep things, we should know that there are some things about us that God has already declared to be true. We don't need to discern these things. They are already set. But we may not feel totally clear and certain in ourselves about these basic truths. And that's what begins to make discernment really messy. We are trying to use sort of shifting, changing life circumstances to solve heart problems 
when God has already set out to resolve our heart problems so that we can live changing lives. So in our remaining time, I want to just kind of look at three things that God wants us to know even more than he wants us to know what to do. These are three basic truths that are so simple that as they settle into our hearts, it makes other decisions easier. This is where discernment, dokimazo, is really happening. As we discover whether we really believe these truths or not, and then ask ourselves what keeps us from believing these simple truths. So I'm going to draw these three truths out of a, a passage in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Just a little context for this passage. Um, among the early Christian communities, it seems that many of the most vulnerable Christians lived in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was the poorest, most destitute, hardest struggling church among these early churches. And so Paul and some of the other apostles had made a plan to gather a collection of money from Christians in other cities to support the people in Jerusalem. So in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about this question of whether they will send more support. So the Corinthians are doing a kind of discernment. They are figuring out whether and, and how much to give. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding but I want to test or, or discern, again, that's the word dokimazo, the, the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. So, here are three things that I notice in, these, in this passage. Three basic truths that God is discerning in us so that we might then discern in our lives. First, God loves you. As Paul will say to the Corinthians, it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ which comes first. The context in which the Corinthians ought to think about whether or not to give is a reminder that Christ, who is rich in glory and the presence of the Holy Spirit, came to earth and became poor, and he did that to make you rich in glory and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So whatever you have to decide, decide it knowing that you are already loved and favored by God. When I was first learning that I could listen to the Holy Spirit, the, the questions that I put to God were often questions sort of like, this is not that much of an exaggeration. They were questions like, God, uh, should I become 
the world's greatest philosopher or the world's greatest lawyer? Just tell me, Lord. I'm, my hands are open. Your servant is listening. Just tell me one or the other, and I will do whatever you say. God didn't answer my question directly, and it took me a while to understand that if I was really paying attention to him, what I was hearing was, Patrick, why do you keep adding world's greatest? What's, what's going on? What was going on was that more than a particular vocation, my heart was seeking a way to win love, to prove myself, to justify my worth. And if we're honest, that's a huge factor in our decisions, trying to prove something to others, to ourselves, trying to prove something that doesn't need to be proved. In his death and resurrection, Jesus has already declared your worth. You are loved. That question is settled. We don't have to do more discernment. Oftentimes, our decisions, our decisions feel weighty, because we are acting as if something about our value actually depends on the outcome. It doesn't. There is no decision you can make that will take away God's love from you. It's already decided. So there are plenty of times when we are asking the Lord for guidance and he gives us silence, and for a good reason. Because if he took our question seriously, he might just reinforce the idea that this decision will make us good. It won't. And so he just kind of ignores our question and keeps gently pointing us toward his love. Often at ECV, when, when someone's discerning a particular question, we kind of gather folks in a circle around them and we listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. Oftentimes, a lot of what God wants to say is that they are loved, which can be almost annoying sometimes. It's like, yes, I, I heard that in church all we can move on. What I really want to know is whether I should become a, a race car driver. I kind of need a yes or no on that question. I don't need to hear again that God loves me. I, I know. And the word that comes through the church to them is, yeah, but do you? But, like, do you really know God loves you? Do you know that? If there is a gap for you between your belief that God loves you and your experience of God's love for you, that's an issue. That needs to be addressed. It is more important than any decision that you could make right now. Without the assurance of God's love, we all just sort of inevitably kind of flail about trying to prove something which just doesn't need to be proven. The second thing that God wants you to know up front. God created you to have your own authentic desires. Paul, very explicitly in this case, doesn't command the Corinthians to give. He instead reminds them of a sincere desire they have had, that, that when they first heard about the needs of poor Christians, they were moved, they eagerly wanted to act, Paul then just wants to remind them of that, their own desire. He wants to reflect back to them what they have already said. Generosity has been on your heart. You have felt a sincere love for other people. Remember that feeling. Follow through on that authentic desire to care for others. 
I said earlier that the biblical discernment asks about what God desires. That's true. We do care about what God desires. But sometimes we then jump to the conclusion that whatever God desires must be completely different from what we desire. Churches, I think, have often made us feel as if we ought to distrust our desires. And I kind of get it. Like I, not because we should distrust ourselves, but because we just, we just don't really know ourselves. Like I, I can say all I want that my desire is to become the world's greatest philosopher, but I'm just talking nonsense. I, I don't actually like really want that. I don't, I don't even really know what I want because I don't even really know myself. I'm just kind of like throwing out test versions of myself, just faking a bunch of things, trying to imitate some people, not understanding who God has made me to be. Some of you uh, were there for one of my favorite discernment moments in, in the last year, when a group of us were praying for our friend uh, Shirley Kwong. When we look at her, we look at her, she doesn't look that. But she's sitting there at the back. Uh, <laughs> She was facing, Shirley was facing this, this big decision, and Shirley really wanted to be faithful. And so she really wanted to be open. She, she was trying to come in almost as like a blank slate, like ready to do whatever God wanted to ask of her. But as we were talking and praying, it was, a, it was just really obvious to us that Shirley desired to take a particular path, and that that path was good and right. And so for the rest of us, the discernment was easy in a way. It's like, bless you, sure. God, God loves you and is with you. Go do what's on your heart. And Shirley received that and was excited. It was also a little bit surprised. I think. It, it was like she hadn't thought it could just be that easy. She wanted the answer to a question. We didn't figure out the answer for her. In a sense, she already brought the answer with her into the room. But she needed faithful friends to just simply say, yes, surely you are free to do here what you long to do. God delights in your delight. God's desire is that you do what you desire. You have your own desires. You, you don't always know exactly what they are. But God is tokimazo, weighing and then refining refining away all of these other voices and all this confusion and all these false idols. And when you get down to what your heart really most wants, you will find that God is already there. He has made good, authentic desires. A third thing that God wants us to know up front. God's work is for the suffering, the poor, the lost, and the oppressed. Paul says to the Corinthians, look, we're we're not trying to say that the poor Christians in Jerusalem are better or more deserving, deserving than you. We're just talking about equality. You have a lot, so you should give it to people who have little. Someday, you may have little, they may have a lot, and then they'll give it to you. That's just how we live in, in God's kingdom. That shared commitment and compassion for one another as God's people is what gives all of us peace and rest. So here are some things that you don't need to do discernment about. Is it God's desire that you would help those who are suffering? Yes. Is it God's desire that you would oppose what is oppressive? Yes. Should you share the love of God with others? Let me just save myself a meeting. We don't need to like hash it out over coffee. Yes. Yes. 
God answered those questions long ago. Some of you, um, some of you know Sinclair, our good friend here. He's, he's out of town today, um, but he's been part of our community for years. He uh, he and Tyrese uh, work together as attorneys in New Haven, working on housing issues that, that affect struggling people. And Sinclair tells this great story about how when he was considering whether or not he was going to go to law school, um, he bumped into our worship pastor, Tina, who is also an attorney helping struggling people. And Tina said, basically, why do you want to go to law school? And Sinclair was like, I don't know, to help people, I guess. And Tina was basically like, yeah, you're not ready for law school. Like, everybody says that, but if, if you don't go into law school with a clear idea of what God wants for you in that, you'll just kind of get swept up into the culture and the forces of privileged spaces. You'll, you'll just wind up being like some corporate lawyer, and you'll be miserable. And Zaclair was like, yeah, you're right. And he spent a whole year then immersed in New Haven's problems and needs so that when he did go to law school, he would know why he was doing it. So another way to put this wisdom that, that Tina was offering is to say, look, if this is the truth, the fact that God's work is for the poor, the, the suffering, the lost, and the oppressed, if, if this truth is not settled in you, then you will drift. And, and the tidal forces in our culture will cause you to drift towards power and money. It is, it's not enough to see the headlines from Buffalo and feel sad. If you do not cultivate this truth by drawing near to suffering people, then you will lose it. Just like with God's love, just like with your own growing self-awareness, you need to spend regular, dedicated time learning from and loving suffering people so that you will grow in your own deeper awareness of this truth, or else you will just lose track of it, and your discernment will become very When we, when we did this small group on, on discernment that I mentioned in, in 2020, it, it produced a lot of great conversations. The one that stands out to me uh, in the moment was, was a bunch of conversations that I had over many months with one of our, our good friends, Jin Yang. And sadly, I think, in some ways, sadly, I guess, we kind of discerned Jin right back into the arms of California, where she was originally from. And it was sad to say goodbye to her, but also it was, it was true discernment, it was good, and it was right that she would go. Part of the process along the way was that she had like two different job offers in California. She worked sort of in healthcare administration. One job was in the public sector, very low paying, caring for a low income community. The other job was in like a huge corporate welfare provider, <clears throat> excuse me, making decisions that would affect many people's lives. And so now, Maybe you think to yourself just instinctively, well, yeah, like, obviously take the bigger, higher-paying job. Or maybe, like, in light of everything we've been talking about, you think to yourself, well, yeah, obviously take the smaller job. And Jen had, had been on, like, a, had been on such a long journey at ECD, and she had grown so much in her own freedom and ability to just name her desires. She also was someone who had learned a lot about justice, and she had spent a lot of time in proximity in New Haven to suffering people. And so there was no question in my mind that all of these points were becoming more and more settled in her heart. And so 
then, when she faced this decision, she could make it without secretly asking in her own heart, how can I prove that I'm so important? Or, how can I prove that I'm so good? What she was really asking is, how is God going to use this to help me understand God better? And she sensed that there was something really important to learn about her own gifting and her dependence on God in this big job. And through a lot of conversations about it, I, I and others we could eventually say to her as her friend, like, Jin, I think you're ready. I, I think you can take this kind of job without losing track of what God has already done in you. But part of my confidence with Jin was knowing that she had the maturity to say, look, it's not like I just make this one decision and my future path is settled. She knew that even after she discerned where to go next, she would then go there and have to do more discernment about how to do, uh, discernment about how to do her job faithfully, discernment about how to challenge the institution, about how to challenge herself, about what more God would later, later teach her. Christian discernment always leads to more discernment because it is always living alongside the living God, asking what he desires. So you are not going to perfectly understand any of these truths right away. And yet, you will still have to make decisions. You will have to do discernment before you are totally equipped with what you need for perfect discernment. That's okay. There is grace for that. Again, point one, God loves you. There's this illustration that for me, I think, has been, it's been helpful for how I think about Christian discernment, about how we learn to follow God's desires. Um, my wife, Sophia, is originally from Costa Rica. When Sophia and I started dating, I had never been to Costa Rica. I, I was trying to learn about it. Um, she was trying to learn about the U.S., and so she asked me to show her on the Google Maps uh, the house that I grew up in. So I did. Then I said, okay, now I want to see your childhood house. What's your, what's your parents' address? And she was like, well, we don't really have addresses in Costa Rica. And I was like, uh, okay, well, like, how does the mailman know where you live? And she was like, well, he, he just knows where we live. I was like, okay, but... Okay, but if I was trying to send you a letter, what would I write on the front of the envelope? She was like, oh, okay. So you'd put my name, and then below that, you would put 200 meters east of the mango tree. And then below that, you would put the neighborhood and the district and the city. And I was like, okay, so let me get this straight. So I give a letter to the post office. I say, please deliver this to Sophia. They're like, which Sophia? I'm like, well, find the one that's standing 200 meters east of a mango tree. She's like, don't be ridiculous. It's not a mango tree, it's the mango tree. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know which mango tree is the mango tree? Like, like let's suppose I was, I was going to find your house for the first time. And she's like, oh, well, just stop and ask somebody. Like, there, there will be, like, some guy selling food on the side of the road. Just ask him to point out which tree is the mango tree. And I'm like, well, how is he supposed to know which mango tree it is that I'm looking for? And she's like, oh, he'll know. <laughs> in, my, in my neighborhood, that mango tree is very famous. And you know what? 
Uh, she was right. I even at one point, I, you could, this mango tree was marked on Google Maps. I, I looked it up. There were pictures of it. People had left reviews for a tree. Five stars. This is a very famous mango tree. Five stars. Everybody knows this mango tree. Five stars. This mango tree helped me find my friend's house. This like totally blew my American eyes tonight. I, I was, I mean, I, judgmentally in a way, I, I think in the moment I said something like, this is no way to run a country. <laughs> but it actually works. It works great. It just requires you to depend on it. I'm so accustomed to having everything I need on my own to find my des destination without help. The Costa Rican way harkened back to a time when that was impossible. You, you would have no choice but to stop and ask for directions. And, and maybe the person you asked, maybe they wouldn't know the place either, but they could kind of nudge you towards the right town, and then you would stop again, and someone else would nudge you towards the right neighborhood, and you would stop again, and someone else would nudge you towards the right street, and then you would just kind of drive down that street, leaning out the window, going like, hey, anybody seen Sophia? And, and someone would be like, oh, she just went to the city, she'll be back in an hour, and you would just sit there and wait. If scripture thinks about our lives as a journey requiring discernment, it is much more like that kind of model. In our modern American context, we tend to expect that discernment is just a matter of telling God, okay, I'm ready, text me. Just drop me a pen, send me the coordinates. And then when I don't feel like I fully understand or I don't get it, I'm like, well, I guess something's going on with the Wi-Fi here. Let me just try to reset the connection. Let's try again. Okay, I'm really listening this time. Just point out for me where I'm heading, and I'll take it from there. Maybe as we get more mature, we think, okay, I don't necessarily need like the final destination, but God, if you could give me a very comprehensive list of directions, give me the steps I need to figure it out. But what if what God has in mind for us often looks a lot more like stopping frequently? Like taking the risk of asking other people around you, like, hey, what's the name of this place? Like, anybody know where I'm at? Here's where I'm thinking about going. Have you ever heard of it? Any suggestions? Like, I'm starting to feel a little bit hungry. What's a good place to stop and eat? Discernment requires that you are constantly learning for yourself, what am I looking for? And what road am I ready to take? And it requires that you learn to say sometimes, can I trust this person's directions? Does their wisdom sound like something God would say? And so you have to become comfortable as well with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You, you have to learn to recognize his voice. You have to know Jesus so well that you begin to anticipate what he would do. You have to feel at rest in the Father's love for you. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up here, and I'm, I'm going to invite uh, Josh to kind of come towards the front as we transition into a time of prayer. I want to invite you to think for a moment a little bit about this question. What are you really trying to discern? Let's sit with this question for a moment. Think about it. Maybe even put a question to God. What are you asking God? Be 
prepared for the answer to your question to be a question. What is God asking? I think uh, I think I wonder I, if some of you maybe are so are stuck on the absence of these feelings in your life. The absence you know all these things. Do you know all these things? That's you. What is God trying to discern in you? Some of you may realize that you have already made a bunch of decisions in life that didn't make any reference to God whatsoever. Now you are living inside, inside this life. You don't know what to do about it. sticking around for our come Holy Spirit after service after after church today. Maybe you have a question, but even now you are really starting to wonder whether you are seeking an experience, a deeper knowledge of these truths. Bring that to the Lord. We're going to worship together in song and in prayer. We're going to keep it up. God is going to come near. Will you be there? Will you come?